You're listening to New Life Washington Podcast. We pray this sermon encourages you and builds up your faith. It's our goal to help you live so that no one misses the grace of God. Enjoy the sermon. We've been in a series called The Story, and the story is um, basically us going through the Bible. And it's this big overview of the Bible. So as we go through it, understand that we're not going to be able to get through every single story in the Bible. We're taking this big picture view and giving you the overview of the Bible so that hopefully as we look at it, we can get some big themes and figure out what are some of the key themes that are throughout all of Scripture. And as we look throughout all of Scripture, some of the things that we've seen already as we looked at this is that God's faithfulness to us is a huge theme throughout all of Scripture. It's not just in one story, but it's in all the stories of the Bible that God is faithful to you and I again and again, whether we're faithful or not, whether we love him right or not, he loves us right, whether we are pursuing him or not, he's pursuing us, that again and again, God is working, God is moving, God is faithful again and again. We see God's redeeming work happening throughout scripture, right? That his desire is to, from the very beginning, when things were broken, for him to put things back together again. We see our unfaithfulness to be a big theme in the Bible. So as we look through this, there's themes that are happening over and over again, one by one. It seems like every story, these are the same kind of things that begin to happen. And as we began in Genesis, we saw that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they were unfaithful. They decided to do things their own way. And because they did things their own way, their relationship with God was fractured. And they left the garden that day, separated from God. But from the very beginning, God had a plan, as I said, redeeming his redeeming work is a part of the story. And he says, you know what? I, I, I desire to be in relationship with you again. I desire to put the pieces back together again. And and he says from the very beginning, I'm going to send someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And he's saying, I'm coming, I'm going to send someone to save you and to repair our relationship. As we went next week, the, the following week, we talked about Abraham and how God sent Abraham on the scene to go to a new place. He asked Abraham to be a man of faith, asked him to do things that Abraham didn't think he could do. And along the way, Abraham was unfaithful, another theme. He was unfaithful along the way, but God was still faithful to him. And God says, hey, through, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bring a blessing to the whole earth, a blessing that's going to impact everybody's lives, and it's going to be through your line that that's going to come. And that line, um, his line comes Jesus. And so every story that we've been talking about has these themes, and the major theme is that they all point to Jesus. Every story whispers his name. He's the big person that this is all about. He's the key person in the story. He's the one that we all want to talk about. And as we head to Easter, he is our focus. He's where our attention is because every story whispers his name. Every story shouts the name of Jesus. And that's where God is wanting to get us to the story of Jesus. As we talked about last week, we talked Moses and Once again, key themes, Moses is unfaithful, God's people are unfaithful, but God is still faithful to them. And God shows up and frees them out of slavery through some crazy events that take place. 
And in the midst of that, when they should have been punished for their sin, when they should have been punished for them, what does God do? God passes over them as they put blood on their doorposts. And I know that sounds freaky if you're here for the first time, but I don't have time to explain it all. But God passes over them, and they don't receive the punishment that they deserve because God passes over them because of the blood of the Lamb. And we know, fast forward, that Jesus is the ultimate Lamb, Right, The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and God passes over us and we don't receive the punishment that we deserve because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So every story, it whispers the name of Jesus. Every story is pointing to him and the work that he finally does on the cross. But this morning, we continue the story as we get into the book of Judges and the book of Kings. And what we see in these stories is once again, God's people are unfaithful. So what happens is they enter into the promised land. They're finally in the place where they're supposed to flourish, where they're supposed to grow. And man, this is exciting. We've been waiting for this moment throughout our whole entire lives. We're here. And what do God's people do? They go and they begin to worship idols. And so God gives them this command. He says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to drive out all the other nations from this land. And you say, why would God do that, right? Doesn't he want us to just uh, go in and just be friends with these people? Well, God knew, God knew his people's tendency was to be unfaithful. He knew their tendency was to worship idols. And he knew that these people, they worshiped other gods. And if they didn't drive them out, that what was going to happen is that God's people were going to continue to worship idols. They were going to continue to worship the God of the Moabites. And so what happened is exactly what God said God's people didn't drive out these individuals the way they were supposed to. And so they enter into the land, and right away they begin to worship idols. And so we're going to pick up here in Judges chapter 2, verses, uh, let's do verse 10 to start with. And as we go through this, I want you to see this repetitive thing that happens. And it happens all throughout Scripture, but I want you to see it in these passages of the book of Judges because it shows our unfaithfulness as a people and what God does to redeem us over and over again. So let's do Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says this, it says, After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. So we see here that the generation of Moses and Joshua, that they had died out, and that the faith didn't get passed down. It didn't get passed down like it should have. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? We have the same danger in our world today of our faith not getting passed down to the next generation. And we need to take responsibility of that and not say, hey, that's the youth pastor's job or the children's pastor's job, but as parents... And as grandparents and as people in the lives of children, that we have the responsibility to pass down the faith to the next generation. That it's our responsibility to make sure that it gets poured in. That it's not just Christian values, but that they understand the heart of God. They understand some of these concepts. That we have those conversations with them. And that we're able to pass it down so that one day we won't say, hey, man, it didn't get passed down. Right? Things are a mess now because things never got passed down. But it says here, because of that... They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. And this aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. 
So we have God's people here showing up in the land that he, God had promised them. Once again, supposed to be the most exciting place, the land of milk and honey, a place where they're supposed to flourish. But it's not what happens. And it's not what happens because they go and they begin to worship idols. Because they go and as it says here, they worship Baal and they worship Astareth and they worship all these other gods. And so there's this repetitive cycle here that begins to take place. Where they begin to worship idols, God gets angry and God allows them to experience, you know, uh, the aftermath of, of what's going to happen. So other nations come in and take over them. They make them slaves. Suddenly they're dealing with hardship and then they cry out to God and God comes and saves them. And it's this repetitive thing over and over again. But it says here, let's go to verse 14 once again. It says, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. And when Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. And Jesse had sworn to them they were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. So this is called the book of Judges, and it says here that God sent some judges. So let me, let me explain that, okay? So, so God's people here, they're running away from God, and in the midst of running away from God, God says, okay, you want to run away? I'm going to let you... Uh, into the hands of your enemies. So suddenly the enemies are in charge, and as the enemies are in charge and making the life of the Israelites miserable, they begin to pray and they begin to ask for help, and God will send a judge. And God will send a judge to come and to win his people back physically, right? To come in and to win a war against these other people and to bring their people out of slavery back into freedom. And so when this happens, right, it's this big victory that we see with Samson, we see with Gideon, we see with Deborah, we see with these different judges throughout Scripture. What happens again and again is God will free them out of slavery, they'll worship God for a little while, and then they go back to unfaithfulness. They go back to worshiping other idols, and then it starts all over again. And so there's this cycle that happens over and over and over again. It goes like this, idolatry, oppression, crying out to the Lord. God delivers them. They commit to the Lord, but then it spirals out of control each and every time. And as we continue here, it says the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways. So once again, the cycle continues. Even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And therefore, the Lord was angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant that I ordained for their ancestors and have not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed these nations to remain, and he did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hand of Joshua. 
So let's stop here just for a little bit, but I want you to see that pattern, okay? We've talked about it already. I think you guys grasp it, but that pattern of they're going in a circle here, they're running away from God, worshiping idols, then they cry out to God, God saves them, and then they just go back again and again and again. And I think the root of this, right, is this desire in our hearts as human beings to just do what we want to do. I'm just going to do whatever I want, whatever I feel like doing. I'm just going to do it. And so we see this heart that these people have, and in fact, it shows itself in this way. I want you to look at this, uh, at this verse. It says, let's go ahead and skip to the next slide here. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This happens in Judges again and again. You see this thought that there was no king in Israel. There was nobody in charge. So everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Well, this presented problems for them over and over again. So what began to happen in the book of Judges and as we enter into 1 Samuel is a guy named Samuel comes on the scene and he's a prophet to the people and he's a godly prophet. But because these problems have happened and because there's no king in Israel um, and everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, they begin to ask for a king. They begin to say, Samuel, we need a king. Can you anoint somebody to be our king? All these other nations around us, they have kings. Why can't we have a king? Can you make sure that we have a king? Can you ask God to give us a king? And he says, you guys don't need a king. We're a different kind of nation. You already have the king. He's God, right? We need to listen to his voice. We need to listen to what he has to say. But the people rejected that. They wanted a king. And so here in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6, it gets into that. Because it says, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not that they have rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me as their king. And I want you just to let that set in real quick, okay? The people here are saying, we want a physical king, and they're rejecting God as their king. Why would they do that, right? It seems very easy Right? This God who had saved them out of slavery, this God who had repeatedly saved them in this cycle of sin that they're in, that they would just submit and say, Lord, you can be our king. But once again, they had this heart that says, hey, I just want to do what I want to do. And chances are, if we can get a man king, we'll be able to twist his arm a little bit to get him to do what we want to do. So even in choosing a man to be their king, they're trying to get what they want. They're trying to continue to choose their, their desires and what they want and to be able to just do whatever they want to do. So as we continue, it says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. They didn't reject me. They didn't reject you. They rejected me. And as they, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, forsaking me and serving gods, so they are doing to you. So now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So essentially Samuel is saying here, you want a king? God's saying, okay, you want a king? We're going to give you a king. We're going to give you a king, but let me warn you, it's not going to be as fun as you think it is. It's not going to be as fun for you to have a king as you think. You think you want a king, it's going to be all fun. This king is going to oppress you. This king is going to be evil towards you. This king... 
is not going to be as it's all cracked up to be. And that's what we see happen throughout the history of Israel, that yes, there's some good kings along the way, but there's more bad kings than there is good kings. There's more unfaithful kings than there is faithful kings. And along the way, it's a bad thing for God's people to have a man as a king. To have a man come in as a king is not a good thing for God's people. So it begins here with a guy named Saul, and he's the first king of Israel. And it starts out okay, but slowly Saul began to turn away from the Lord. He's unfaithful. And as he's unfaithful over and over again, and as he leads God's people to be unfaithful, um, it's time for him to be removed from leadership. And so God anoints a guy named David. And we love David. We love the story of David, and we love how God calls him because David is a boy working with the sheep. He's a shepherd, and he's just a little runt of a guy. And so one day, Samuel, he calls all of the brothers from the house of Jesse to come, and one by one, he looks at these guys, and he says, okay, this, is, this has got to be him. He's tall. He's handsome. He's everything we would want in a king. This is, has to be the next king. And God says, nope, it's not him. He goes down the line with all these guys that are qualified, that look amazing. And one by one, God says, that's not the one. So finally, it comes down to all the brothers. And Samuel says, is there any other kids that you have? And he says, I've got one more out in the, (laughs) he's out shepherding the sheep. And, uh, And so we'll call him in. So they called David in. And David doesn't look qualified. He's a young boy. And God chooses David on that day to be the next king. And he's actually one of the good kings in the Bible with the exception of some things that we'll talk about in a little bit. But what I want you to see from this is that man has a way of choosing the next king. Handsome, right? Tall, looks qualified. And God had a way of choosing the next king. God had a way of looking at his heart. And it says that in the Bible. He says, hey, I don't want you to look for the next king like you would in a worldly way, right? I don't want you to look at their physical appearance and all these attributes, but I want you to look at their heart, to look differently. And so we see here that if we follow man's way, that it's not going to lead us always to the place that we should go, right? But if we follow God's way for our lives, it's going to lead us to a pretty good place. And sometimes those two things look very, very different, even in choosing a king to follow God's way versus our way. So God chooses David, and David eventually becomes king. It's a long process for him, but as he becomes king, um, he's a good king, and there's peace in the nation for the very first time. They're prospering. Everything that, man, was supposed to happen is beginning to happen, and God is blessing David because David is a man after God's own heart. Once again, the themes that we see throughout Scripture, David becomes unfaithful, becomes unfaithful. And he has this moment in Scripture where he commits adultery, where he murders somebody. He has these moments in Scripture where he messes up, just like you and I, just like every single one of us. He messes up in a big, big way. But in that moment, um, down the road, he has the opportunity to get things right, and he's still considered a man after God's own heart. But as we see his reign end, 
one of the things that God promises him, it points to Jesus. And once again, in this series, any time that we can point to Jesus, we want to do that. So go to Samuel chapter 7, verse 11, because what Jesus promises David is that through his line is going to come someone. So let's read there. It says, the Lord declares to you, this is talking to David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and your own blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Let's just stop there. Because what God is doing here is he's telling David, David, through your line is going to come the Messiah, the Son of God. Through your line is going to come someone, and his throne is going to last forever. I want you to think about kingdoms throughout history. How many of those kingdoms and how many of those kings have reigned forever? None. Many kingdoms don't exist anymore, even the more powerful ones, if we look throughout history, if we look through Rome, if we look through moments in history where there was powerful people groups, that they, those don't continue over time, that they diminish, that they get smaller, that they fall apart, that they get taken over. Those things fall apart eventually. But let me tell you here, it says that there's one kingdom that will reign forever, that there's one king that will reign forever, and that king is Jesus. And so, friends, when we put our trust in him, we can rest assured that we are trusting a king that's going to reign forever. If we put our trust in a worldly king, what, what happens there? It falls apart eventually. It's flimsy. We saw that over the last couple of years in our world, that things are very flimsy, that a disease can come in and change everything that the economy can change in a moment's notice, that wars can break out in a moment's notice, that things can be very, very flimsy in our world. And if we put our trust in the economy, if we had to put our trust in the world, if we put our trust in a king, if we put our trust in a government, if we put our trust in any of those things, flimsy, it doesn't stand. But God's word stands. God's kingdom stands. Jesus is king, and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. And when we put our trust in him, we have something secure to put our trust in, something firm to stand on, and that is our hope. We can have hope. We can have hope in knowing that we have a king who will endure, who will reign for, forever. So David is promised this, that from your line is going to come Jesus. That's why when Jesus comes, he's called son of David. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. Because he is the reigning king. And he continues to reign to this day and will forevermore. So we continue here after David, Solomon comes. And so Solomon does well. He leads with great wisdom. But once again, Solomon is unfaithful. And he goes off in his own ways and does his own thing. And slowly the kingdom at this point begins to deteriorate. And so the kingdom is split after Solomon. Both nations, they have terrible kings along the way. We see this in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, if you want to go back to it. There's a few good ones here and there, but 
but we see that it all falls apart because God's people, they're unfaithful, the kings are unfaithful, they turn and they do things their own way. But God knows that we need a good king, so eventually he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus to be our king. And so now forevermore we can trust in Jesus as our king. So, so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, when you have a king, you trust the orders of the king. When the king says to do something, you do it. When the king says, hey, this is what we're about as a kingdom, as a nation, you say, this is what we're about. This is what we are about. And so you follow in the footsteps of the king. You follow the orders of the king. You have the heart of the king. And so our desire as Christians should be to follow Jesus as king. To say, you know what, I'm not a follower of David, I'm not a follower of, of Paul, I'm not a follower of Saul in the Bible, I'm not a follower of this church or that church, I'm a Jesus follower. He's my king, and I follow after him as king. He's my king, he's the one that I put my trust in, he's the one that I put my hope in, and he's the one that I follow every step of the way. So are you a person who has Jesus as your king? Is he your king? Because all of us, right, myself included, we can get in these times of our life where Jesus is our savior, but he's not our king. And he wants to be our king. He wants to be our savior and our king. And it's important that we submit to him. So as we continue here, I think an important step today to go in the direction that we need to is to say, Lord, I want you to be king of my life. Maybe there's an area of your life where he's not king and you say, Lord, I submit to you in this area. You're not the king of my finances, but today I want to make you king of my finances. You're not king of fill in the blank, but I want you to be king in this area of my life as well. And we take the ideas that we see in scripture of people saying, I'm going to do things my way. I'm the king of my life. And we say, Lord, I reject that. I want you to be king of my life. And that's the best way that we can make it practical for us today, right? To make Jesus king of our lives. He's worth it every step of the way. His kingdom reigns forever, and our trust in him is so, so important. Follow Jesus as king. Thanks for listening. For more information about New Life Washington, check out our website at newlifeonline.org. God bless.